0: a hand. You got out of bed on a rainy Sunday morning. Come on, there's no tryptophan hangover in the house today. Come on, no tryptophan hangovers. Anybody? How many of you are uh, like Thanksgiving meal day, like turkey? Like that's when you eat Thanksgiving. Like, and how many of you are the second part of that? Is how many of you are leftover Thanksgiving? How many? Let, let's ask the first part. How many of you are, are Thanksgiving Day turkey people? How many of you are leftover people? Right, my wife's a leftover person. I'm a, I'm just a no turkey person. So, I'm, am enough turkey for, for me. That I don't, I don't. No, I'm just kidding. I like turkey, but it has to be cooked the right way. The charcoal grill is where you prepare turkey, ladies and gentlemen. If you've never had it on a charcoal grill, um, you can come to my house next year because it's the only way that my wife's going to let me do it. So, if I invite you over, so, um, we have some important things to talk about. More, more important than turkey, at least. Um, but before I get into everything this morning, I want to invite you all to the Wyndham Tree Lighting this evening from five to seven. We are participating this year by providing hot cocoa and cookies. Uh, you are welcome to to just show up, and you're welcome to help us out. You're also just welcome just to be there. We want to do our best to help people like show up to that event for the town. Uh, we are able to be a part of it by providing cookies and cocoa. Last year, I had to go to Walmart to buy more cocoa, so this year I made sure I buy—I I That's where I was going with that. <laughs> Make sure I bought more than enough cocoa this year, so I bought over a thousand packs of cocoa yesterday. Thank you, Sam's Club. Shout out, Sam's Club. Um, also bought a lot of cups to put that cocoa in—over uh, a thousand of those as well. So. Um, you're welcome to join us. I'm going to get there about 4.15. Um, if you didn't, and the reason I'm telling you that is because if you didn't sign up, I want you to feel welcome to come and help us um, serve our community. We we are here for the community, and um, I don't ever want anyone to think that we're just a church that meets in a high school. I want them to believe that we're a church that's a part of this community because sometimes churches meet in places and they're not a part of anything. Uh, we we want to be in our city, before our city, and fiercely love people that we haven't met with, met yet. And the only way that we can do that is if we prepare to meet them, if we prepare to be a part of them. So um, I invite you to, to the Wyndham Tree Lighting tonight. It's, it's always fun. <coughs> the thing I love, I said this last week, the thing I love about this event is that this is the third year that we've done this. But our church isn't even two years old yet. Like, we'll be two years old in March. So in order for that to happen, some of you are trying to do the math in your head, and you're like, whoa, wait a minute, that doesn't add up. And the reason it doesn't add up is because we started serving at this event before we even started to to be a church. Um, We got our team together that was helping us get this church started, probably about uh, 30 or 40 of us. And uh, we— Showed up and helped hand out Coco, and ever since then the community has been really good about asking us to be a part of things. And I just I love when the community calls me um, to ask me to be a part of it because I know that there will come a day where I will need to call the community, and if I haven't shown up and I haven't been there when they needed me, then why do I expect anything from them? So um, it's 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 a relationship, and we're not in it to get anything out of the community. I pray that they're. Doesn't come a day where I actually need the community, but if it does, I pray that, that that I'm able to to say, "Hey, you know, this is what we've done." So today we're in a series called "Wonderful Counselor" uh, that we started last week because we're beginning, we're we're entering into a a season known as the Christmas season, and um, so oftentimes I was thinking about this. So oftentimes it's like, like this year, it's, I get it, it's the end of November, but how many of you are like, oh shoot, Christmas is only four weeks away, anybody, anybody, like, 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 holy crap, what have I been doing that Christmas has just snuck up on me, and every year, Christmas is on December 25th, but it always manages to sneak up on us every single year, and so this year, I wanted to be prepared for Christmas, and I wanted to be prepared for Christmas so much that I wanted to help you prepare for Christmas. And I know that as the Christmas season comes in my life, there are certain things that I oftentimes struggle with. One of those things is struggling with getting together with family. And some of you are going, man, I wish I would have been here last week to hear the talk about family because I had to go and endure my family for Thanksgiving. And, um, if, if, if that's you, I want to invite you to download last week's podcast on iTunes, Church. Uh, you can download that on our website or on iTunes. So uh, I want to invite you to, to always listen to any of the series or the messages that we've done in the past. But last week we talked about family because oftentimes we struggle with that in the holiday season. Um, next week we're talking about gluttony and um, titling the, entitling the, I ate too much because we're going to talk about just the struggle with being a gluttonous uh, society when it comes to Christmas. Christmas, a lot of times, is even though we buy presents for other people, let's be honest, we really like to see a present under the tree for me, right? So we're talking about that next week. But today, today we're talking about a very serious topic. We're talking about depression and mental health because. The fact of the matter is, is that the, su- the the suicide rate goes up by 40% in the holiday season. 40% the suicide rate goes up in the holiday season. That is, that's, that's ridiculous. And I want to do everything that I can to, to go against what normally happens. And so I hope that, you know, At least in Maine, that uh, because we're having this conversation, that when we look at the state, I want I want someone to go, and this goes for everything in the state of Maine. This this is one reason why I'm here, why why I believe that we're here as a church, is because I want people to see that what happened on March 5th, 2017. What, what was it on that day that everything started to change? Because I want to be able to go back to that day, which is the day that we started as a church, and I want someone to say what happened in mainland. And and the only way that that can happen is is with the with God's help, with the help of the Holy Spirit. And so this whole series is based on this passage of scripture in Isaiah chapter nine. I'm just going to read it for you. It's not on the screen, but on in Isaiah chapter nine, verse six and seven, it says for. A child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. On that day that Jesus was born, everything changed. A Wonderful Counselor entered the world, and we've gone on through this life trying to do things on our own without the help of a Wonderful Counselor. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know that you don't have to go to a therapist, even though I fully support that. I fully support you going to a therapist, going to a psychiatrist, going to um, a counselor, getting help. I I believe in that. But I want you to know that we have a wonderful counselor that doesn't take insurance because he doesn't have to because he's free. And I believe he changes everything. So we're we're talking about a a fairly heavy topic today. And I just wanted to kind of start kind of light, and just like all the time, I, I want you to know that um, I heard a pastor this last week say that we believe in agreement, like, if, if, if there's anything that I say you agree, you let me know you agree, and, and we're good, like, a good hearty amen is good from time to time, like, let me know, hey, or, or like, I love it with someone when I hear someone say, oh, that's good, like, I, I love to, to hear I'm, I'm doing, you, you, do you love to hear you're doing good? Yeah, you all love to hear you're doing good. Now, I'm not saying that. Um, I'm not saying that that, so, that if you don't agree that you're not welcome. Don't, don't hear that. If you don't agree, that's fine. We can have a conversation after service. Just don't boo me because you disagree with me right here. Because our security will see you out the door. But as we began, I wanted to start a little lighter. And, and um, my I told a I told a joke last week that my wife told me. And you guys like that. So I thought I'd tell you a, a, a Tanya story this morning uh, because she's evidently funnier than I am. You think that at least by your um, reaction. And so uh, this morning she wakes up and she says, Adam, I had a dream. This is a true story. Uh, I had a dream and uh, we got a divorce. So, like, this is not the way to start my day, honey. Like we had a divorce because I started a company and it was highly successful. And you couldn't handle the success of my company. So you served me papers. And that probably tells you a little bit about our marriage. But on our way to church, she just starts laughing. And I'm like, What are you laughing at? She was like, I'm so clever. I'm even clever in my sleep. The name of my company was Ton Yarn? That's awesome, she says. Ton Yarn. She started a yarn company in her sleep. And I said to her, "I thought I married someone five years younger than I am, not fifty years older than I am." <laughs> I'm kidding. So we try to keep things light because fact of the matter is, is that just this last week, a, a pastor in the a in, in the state of California at the age of 30 years old, a young pastor decided that things were too heavy for him, that life was too hard. And he took his own life, leaving behind three beautiful boys and a beautiful wife, trying to figure it out all without him. And frankly, I believe it's sad that that is what is required to get the, church, the church's attention when it comes to mental health issues and when it comes to depression issues. Because ever since that day, churches are now talking about depression and talking about mental health. And ladies and gentlemen, we're not talking about that conversation, this conversation because of that guy. We're talking about it because I believe it's something that 100% of human beings face. to look at this conversation of mental health and just start to pray that the church today starts engaging in conversations that historically it's run away from, for whatever reason. I want to be a church that says, we're going to talk about the difficult things. We're going to talk about the things that people face every single day. We're going to have a conversation because I want you to know this morning that that is exactly what this is. It's a conversation. I cannot solve your depression problems or depression issues in a 40-minute talk. I can't do that. I would be extremely arrogant to believe that I could solve your issues in 40 minutes on any Sunday. I'm not that arrogant. I hope I'm not that arrogant. Somebody may disagree. I don't know. I can't solve your 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 any of your issues in 40 minutes. That's why it has to be a conversation. And if we're going to have a conversation about depression, we need to know what we're talking about. As I began to prepare for this series, I wanted to talk about the instability that comes along with the holidays. Because let's face it, it's not just depression, it's anxiety, it's financial struggles. It's it's even eating disorders. It's, it's, a, it's a mental health thing. It's not, it's not just depression. So I want you to know this morning that if you struggle with any mental health, that this is a conversation that we want you to be a part of. It's not just about depression today. The definition of mental health is a person's condition with regard to their psychological and emotional well-being. I think because the church deals with spiritual health, for some reason, we've run away from mental health. Ladies and gentlemen, being healthy is being healthy, period. It doesn't matter if it's physically, emotionally, mentally, or or physically. Being healthy is being healthy. And if we're going to be a healthy church, we have to talk about being healthy people. so I want you to know this morning, I'm not a mental health expert. I have been depressed in my life. There was a time in my life, I was a sophomore in high school. I played football on, on a real successful football team, and I hated football practice. I, I played the entire season. I got to the playoffs. We got to the playoffs, and, um, and practice got a little bit more intense, a little bit more difficult. And I was just tired of, of, of practice. So I'd skip practice, and I'd go home, and I'd go to bed, and I'd lay down, and I'd sleep. I, I, I even hesitate telling the story. It's not even in my notes because I don't want to make this about me. It's not about me. It's, it's, I just want you to know I've been there. And so we started going to the doctor because I would go, I would get home from school. I would, I would go to bed. I'd go straight to bed. I'd get up. I'd eat dinner. I'd eat my dinner. I'd go right back to bed, and I'd wake up the next morning. That's how much I was sleeping. Homework didn't matter. Football practice didn't matter. None of it. I was extremely tired. So my mom and dad, they took me to the, to the doctor, and, of course, they first instantly checked for mono because that's usually what you do when someone's really tired. And came, tests came back negative for mono and started all these, you know, tests and things. And the doctor looked at me and he said, well, the only thing I can think of is you have this, this thing called chronic fatigue syndrome. It's something that we've recently discovered. It was very new at the time. But chronic fatigue syndrome doesn't have a cure. It's just something that where you're, you're tired all the time. Well, things happen. I, I but, but during that conversation with the doctor, he looked at me and he goes, are you depressed? And I was like, I'm 17 years old. There's nothing I have to be depressed about. I hate football practice, but I'm not depressed about it. But looking back at my life, I look and I'm like, I'm not, I'm not tired all the time anymore. I've gotten over that. And I look back on that situation in my life and I say, oh, I think I was probably depressed. Because a part of sleeping all the time is depression. I'm not an expert on it. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a doctor. I'm a pastor. And I think too oftentimes pastors... Think so much of themselves that they come across as being an expert on everything. That's not my job. My job is to point you to Jesus and what He has to say. Depression is real. One out of nine people have been on some sort of antidepressant medication. One out of nine people in this room are on some sort of depression medication. One out of five people have been on depression medication. Depression is a real disease. But the fact of the matter is is that there's a stigma that comes along with depression. For whatever reason, for whatever reason, it is okay for any other part of the body to break down except for the mind whatever reason, it's okay to have a cold. It's okay to have a broken arm. But if you say you're depressed and your mind isn't healthy, then we look at you differently. Because there's a stigma that comes along with depression. And ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know that we will do everything that we can in the name of Jesus to remove the stigma. So that people can know that they can talk to someone. So they know that they can talk to someone about not being okay in their mind. Being sick is not a sin. Being sick is not an identity. Being sick is being sick. So we're going to do everything that we can to point people to the Jesus that is the wonderful counselor that will help you get through those things. That's why we're here. I think a a lot of the reason why there's a stigma in a lot of churches about depression is because for whatever reason, we've been told that you have to put on your Sunday's best. That you have to look good to go to church. All the fighting stops when you enter into the church doors. Come on, somebody, right? It doesn't matter how how much hell you went through to get to church. It all stops as soon as you enter the church parking lot. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the way my pa- my grandparents went to church. That was the way things were when my grandparents went to church when they were kids, and when and when my dad grew up. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry, this isn't my grandma's church. Although we do accept, ex- we ex- we welcome all the grannies in the house, come on grannies, what's up? But I want you to know, and I want you to write this down, we will be a place where it's okay not to be okay. Write this down, it's okay not. This has got to be foundational for the conversation that we will have, because when you enter into a conversation and you think that everything's okay, you're a part of the wrong conversation. It's okay not to be okay. For some reason, that helps just a little bit, right? To know that it's okay not to be okay. Like, for whatever reason, that that helps me feel a little bit better about myself. But I don't know about you. <laughs> like, the reason it makes us feel like it's okay not to be okay is because it makes us feel a little bit normal, right? Like, oh, I'm normal. But I don't know about you, but I don't want to be normal. I want to stand out. And I want to be Okay. So I want to do everything that I can in order to be okay, and I want to do everything that I can to help you be okay. I want it to be alright with you. I want your mind to be right. I want it, I want you to be good, I want you to be healthy. And so I think if if we're gonna do that, if we're gonna say, you know what, I want to be okay, I think we have to look at some contributors to why we are not okay as a society as a whole. And so I believe that there are some there are some lifestyles and, and, and some things that we do in our lives that cause us to not be okay. The first one, number one, is our cell phone use and our social media use is a lifestyle that I believe is contributing us to not be okay as a society. Our cell phone use... In our social media use, our our screen time is through the roof. Apple just recently, um, in their new update, started putting something on your phone to where you can monitor your screen time. And so as you're monitoring your screen time, you're going, oh, I didn't know I was on my phone that much this week. Or, oh, I didn't know I was on the iPad that much this week. Or even better yet, parents, I didn't know my kid was on their iPod that much this week. Because screen time and social media use in, in, in our phones. And I'm not, I'm not bashing phones or, or social media. They can be used for good. But it's contributing to us not being okay because it's become too important to us. Recently, Mark Zuckerberg, who is the founder of um, social media giant Facebook, who's recently purchased Instagram, So all the social media stuff goes together. He recently sat down with Congress apologizing for things that Facebook has done to society. So it's important that we monitor our social media use and our our cell phone use. The second lifestyle that we often have is a lack of identity as a society. Our lack of identity as a society... Ladies and gentlemen, our society has an identity problem. We don't know who we are anymore. We're arguing about who matters, for crying out loud. We've got black lives that matter. We've got blue lives matter. We, like, whatever happened to purple lives? Whatever, Like, seriously, like, like, why is it that we get so hung up on these, these issues of people mattering? Because, ladies and gentlemen, we have an identity problem. And the fact of the matter is, that pastor, he shouldn't be talking about who matters. He shouldn't take a side. I'm not taking any sides, for crying out loud. But just because I'm here not taking sides, I'm taking a side. That's how crazy society has become. Because we have this identity problem. Whatever happened to the human race? Whatever happened to each other? Whatever happened to just being neighbors? So we have a social media issue and cell phone issue. We also have a lack of identity issue. And then we have the inability to process pain. As a society, as a whole, we do not process pain very well. So many people look to a bottle to process their pain. They look to a needle to process their pain. That's why the opioid epidemic is so through the roof we don't process pain as a youth pastor the number one issue that I dealt with were students that cut themselves and it bo- it just it just boggled my mind why you would cut yourself I don't know but I know that the reason kids like uh, psych- psychologically that's the word I was like for the reason psychologically kids would cut themselves is because they wanted to feel the pain that they felt on the inside, on the outside. And they felt like they, that was the only way to process their pain was if they, if they felt it on the outside. If they felt just as bad on the outside as they do on the inside. And so we have this inability to process pain as a society. And finally, we have to always be taking our selfies. We are selfie driven And there we go Right there it is You can check that on our Instagram later And we've gone full circle We are such a selfie driven society That we're going to talk about that next week When we talk about gluttony I might save that picture for next week Too much cell phone use and social media use and lack of identity and the inability to process pain as well as being so narcissistic as a society. What happens is people look at all of these things together. It's not just one of those things, but it's all of those things together. And what happens is when they look at all those things together, they say, it's too much. I can't handle it anymore. I'm out. And they get to this point of their their lives where they're like, you know what, I don't even want to live anymore, so I'm just going to take my life. I'm going to end it because it's too much to handle. Suicide is real. Worldwide, one million people commit suicide each year. Globally, one person dies every 40 seconds by his or her own hand. Every 15 minutes, someone commits suicide in the United States. This one absolutely blew my mind. That sui- the suicide rate is twice the rate as murders in the United States. It's doubled. Ladies and gentlemen, we die at our own hand more often than dying at someone else's. That's an issue, that's a problem. And it's a problem that the church has historically ignored. I'm tired of it. Suicide is the number one killer for kids of the age 15 to 24. The number one killer for 15 to 24. Years. Pastor Rick Warren is a pastor of Saddleback Church in, um, in California. In 2013, he had a son at the age of 27 that committed suicide. And ever since then, he and his wife have, ta- have done talks on depression, suicide. And um, every talk that he gives on depression, he makes sure that people write this number down. I want you to write it down today. Everyone, 100% participation. This is an all play. The number is 1-800-273-TALK. 1-800-273-TALK. It's right behind me. 1-800-273-8255. That is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. And now I've gone through five pages of notes and we haven't even opened God's word to talk about what he has to say about depression. Because I believe that it's important that we have a good founda- like, that we have a foundation, that we know what we're talking about. And now we can get into what God has to say about the issue, because let's, let's be honest, that's where we can breathe a lot easier. Because he has a lot to say about depression, even though historically the church has run from this issue, God has a lot to say about it. So in your Bibles, there's a book by the, that's called Lamentations, to, to, to laminate. Just kidding. That was a joke. Come on. Are you guys already asleep? I've gone through five pages of notes without opening the word of God, and you're already asleep. That's really bad preaching. It's not to laminate. It's to laminate, it, right? To, to, you know, you understand what that means? like just to, to sulk, which we're going to talk about in a moment. The guy that wrote this book it was the name of Jeremiah. He was a prophet that was known as the weeping prophet. Now, nowadays, he's known as the weeping prophet. In chapter three of verse seventeen, uh, uh, chapter three of Lamentations. And by the way, if if you're not already, you're welcome to follow along in our notes in the U Version Bible app. We we put that up every week. Um, follow along in the U Version Bible app. Um, this will tell you how to get there. You're looking for the icon that says Holy Bible. That's the u app, app. You can follow along with us there. Lamentations 3, 17 through 20 says this. Jeremiah is talking, and he says, Peace has been stripped away, and I have forgotten what prosperity is. I cry out, my splendor is gone. Everything that I had hoped from the Lord is lost. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is better beyond words. Let me read that again. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is better beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Anybody ever been where Jeremiah is at? Come on, somebody. Yeah, come on. We've all been there. We have all been there. And for some of us, it, it sounds so far, so too familiar. But what Jeremiah is doing here is he is sulking. The definition from sulking in of sulking in the Cambridge English Dictionary says this to be silent and unpleasant because you are angry and annoyed. To be silent and unpleasant because you are angry and annoyed is what it means to sulk. Now, evidently like like Jeremiah is not being silent. He's writing this down. So, the question is, who is he talking to? He's talking to himself. But he's silent. And I know exactly what that feels like to be going through things in your mind, especially after Tanya and I get in a fight. I'm convincing, like, I'm going through, after we get into an argument, married people come help me out. After you get into a fight, after you get into an argument, How many of you can continue that argument in your head until you win it? Come on, somebody. We all do. As I'm preparing this message, I'm telling my wife, I'm like, hey, honey, just so you know, I talk to myself. (laughs) And she's like, Adam, we all do. I'm like, okay, good. And then she was the one that said, especially after I argue with you, just throw that out there. I love my wife because she lets me talk about her in my sermons. My kids don't, however. that like, don't you talk about me? I will not. I will not have you talk about me. He was silent, but he was talking to himself. And here's what this teaches us: this teaches us that we can become isolated in our thoughts, and we can we can say things to ourselves. I want you to know that we've got to find a way to get out of our own heads. One of my favorite verses in, in, in all of, of the scriptures that has really risen to the top after I started this church. is found in John chapter 10 and verse 10. It says that the thief's purpose is to kill, steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them rich and satisfying life. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a thief this morning that wants us to be in our own head. We have a thief this morning that wants you to only talk to yourself. We have a thief this morning that will do anything that he can to get you not to talk to somebody else. Because if you're the only person that knows your secrets, you're in trouble. If you are the only person that knows your secrets, you are in trouble. You need somebody. You need someone to talk to We're gonna talk more about that in a moment. So there's this other prophet in, in the book of First Kings. You can turn there. First Kings chapter 18 is where we begin the story. I'm just gonna tell you that story for the sake of time. I'm not gonna read that passage, but we're gonna read a passage in nineteen. So First Kings chapter nineteen. This is a prophet by the name of Elijah. Now, Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18, where we pick up his story, he has just stood up to 450 prophets of this God that is an awful God by the name of Baal, B-A-A-L, Baal. He stands up to 450 prophets of Baal by saying, you know what, I challenge your God, I challenge your God to this, I, I dare you to do this. But I'm going to pray to my God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one true God, and I'm going to pray to him, and he's going to send down fire on this on this altar that is just drenched with water. It was a supernatural miracle that, that Elijah calls down in order to defeat 450 prophets of Baal. And here's what happens. He wins. He defeats 450 awful people. Awful people. He defeats them all. And then in... In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1 and 2, it says this. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done, talking about the killing 450 prophets of Baal. Including what he had done, and he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So verse 2, so Jezebel, this lady, sent this message to Elijah. This is what she says. "May May the gods strike me. And even kill me by this time tomorrow, if I have not killed you, just as you killed them. And just like that, Elijah forgot about the great victory that God had given him. Ladies, you have got an incredible amount of power over us men. An incredible amount of power over us men. Because he had just defeated four hundred and fifty prophets of Baal, and this lady threatens to kill him, and he's like, oh no. Watch what happens. We're going to read... And um, yeah, actually, let's pick up in, in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 3 through 4. Elijah was afraid and he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. And then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. Notice, he went with who? He went alone. He went by himself. So he went alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a a solitary broom tree and he prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life for I am better than my ancestors who have already died. You didn't realize the Bible had someone that was suicidal in it, did you? Elijah is suicidal. He's thinking about taking his own life under this tree, all because a lady is threatened to kill him. And here's what we learn from this passage: we hear, we we learn four things, four things from this story about the state of mind that Elijah is in, that maybe the state of mind some of you are in today. And I believe, ladies and gentlemen, that this message God has got for for someone in this room. Maybe maybe you're you're your thoughts of going home and, and, and doing something to harm yourself. Or maybe you've thought about it in the past. I believe that there is freedom to be had here this morning. So just hang with me. Four things that we hear in this passage. Number one, I think the first thing that we that we learn is the root of depression, the root of mental illness is faulty thinking. The root of depression is faulty thinking. He wasn't thinking right. What happens is we begin to rehearse the negative things in our lives. We begin to rehearse the negative things that we, that we go through in, in our minds and we repeat the negative over and over again. I was just talking about this with someone this morning. I, I ran a 5k yesterday. Woo Yeah. I, yeah. No, 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 no. Stop it. Okay. Come on, come on, come on, come on. I ran a 5k yesterday and it was cold and, um, it was supposed to be on Thanksgiving, but they canceled it because it was way too cold on Thanksgiving. So um, I ran it yesterday, and it was still cold. And I don't know if you ever run in the cold, but the lungs are just just very um, easily attacked when you run in the cold. And so I woke up with a with a sore throat and a little a little coffee this morning. That was a legit cough, by the way. Like I need to clear my throat a lot. I've got these amazing um, oil cough drops that help me out, but it's a struggle, and I was talking to someone, they're like, oh, you have a cold, and I was like, you know, I'm not saying I have a cold, because I'm not saying that I don't feel good, because what happens when we start to not feel good, ladies, part of the thing about having a man cold is men, we have this, this, this thing of saying, I don't feel good, I don't feel good, I don't feel good, and we just say it over and over again, and guess what, eventually you don't feel good, because you've convinced yourself you don't feel good, and so we, we rehearse the negative even when we get sick in our lives, like even when we get physically sick. We rehearse the negative all the time. And so what's happening here with, with Elijah is he's rehearsing the negative. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9, it says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Think about the things that are worthy of praise. Come on, somebody. Come on. Like, praise Jesus. When you feel bad, when you feel down, praise Jesus, because I believe that that's what will get you out of it. Verse 9, keep putting into practice all that you have learned and received from me, everything that you heard me and saw me doing, and then the God of peace will be with you. Peace follows praise. If you want peace in your life, find a way to praise God in your life. want peace in your life find a way to be positive in your life if you're trying to figure out this whole god thing and jesus thing and you're still trying to figure it out find a way to be positive for crying out loud and so we see that the root of depression is faulty thinking number two we see that he was isolated he went into the wilderness alone he was isolated Ladies and gentlemen, the thief that wants to destroy you wants you to be isolated. He wants you to think that you're all alone. Because the fact of the matter is, is you could be sitting next to someone this morning, and you can still be lonely. Look at your neighbor and say you're not alone. Now look at your second choice and tell them they're not alone. You're not alone this morning. We are better together. We have each other so that we can have this conversation. better together. The fact of the matter is, is even though you say that to each other, you still feel lonely. You still feel lonely. This is why we have small groups at our church. This is why we do things like small groups in our church. Now we're, we're entering into a season actually um, today marks the, the ending of our last semester of small groups, but um I want you to know this morning that small groups isn't about the Refuge Church. Get in a group of people that you agree with. And being, and, and being in agreement is a big, a big thing. I don't get around people that I disagree with to argue, to feel better about myself. I get in a, people, a group of people that I agree with. Get in a group of people that you agree with. It doesn't have to be people from the Refuge Church. Do a Bible study with friends. Get together with friends that go to church, that go to other churches. It's not about us. Get in a small group. You know why we do small groups? We do small groups so that someone can come up to me and say, no, Adam. Or so that I can go to someone and say, no one knows this, but. And then someone else in the room can say, oh, I thought I was the only one. That's why we do small groups. So we can have a conversation with people. So we can talk to people. So that we can know that it's okay not to be okay. Because when you get in your own mind, the thief will exploit you. If you're the only person that knows your secrets, you're in big trouble. So we're better together. Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse 12 says "A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but he, but two can stand back to back and and conquer and three are even better for the triple braided cord is not easily broken. Two is good, but a group is better. Get in a group. Number three, Elijah was led by his feelings. Elijah was led by his feelings ladies and gentlemen emotions lie feelings lie we can't live our lives based on feelings and based on emotion based on how i feel about a particular issue but we live in a society that does it that's one of the reasons why why social media is such a such a curse at times not all the time but it's social media is a magnifier and so what happens is things on social media become magnified. So if I get on social media and I feel this about that, then I get on there and it's magnified because I put it on social media, that's all. So what happens is is we are, are often led by our emotions that cause us to go down a road that is filled with lies. And that's why we must build our life on the rock is this book that's why we go to God's word because I can't do things in my life based on how I feel or based on my experience I can't do things based on things that have happened to me or happened to my family I have to do it based on what God has to say and if your issue is with this book then your issue is not with me your issue is with this book I'm about to preach Because this book has the answers. And we have to go to that. Because our emotions will lie to us. But God's word stands true to this day. And there are things that happen in my life that that this book doesn't agree with. And in those moments, I can't choose what I think. I have to choose what it says. Because it's what's outside of me that saves me, not myself. We have to find a way to be objective and to get out of our own self and to seek truth that is outside of us. God's word is alive. It is active in our life. The book of Hebrews calls it a two-edged sword. It is sharp and sometimes it cuts me deep. so the third thing that we see or the fourth thing that we see Elijah did went through in this cave is, is that he found himself comparing himself to other people. He fell into the trap of comparison. Verse four, the last, ver- the last sentence that he says, he said, I have had enough. He said, take my life for I am better than my ancestors Who have died before me? He starts to compare himself to his ancestors. And ladies and gentlemen, we live in a comparison-driven society. We are looking to other people when they post things on their Instagram to see how beautiful the food that they ate was. My wife, hold up! Let me let me take a picture before I eat this. Stop comparing yourself to someone else's highlights. I, didn't, I, I haven't seen someone share something on, on Instagram that was ugly. If all you do is compare yourself to people on Instagram, then delete your Instagram for crying out loud. First Kings chapter 5, verse 19, the story continues. And then he laid down to sleep under the broom tree. But he was, while he was sleeping, or as he was sleeping, an angel touched him, and he told him, get up and eat. He looked around, and there was beside his head some bread, and baked on his stones, and a jar of water. So he ate and drank, and he lied down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again, and he touched him, and he said, get up and eat some more. The journey ahead of you is too much for you. So he got up, and he ate, and he drank, and... And the food gave him enough strength to travel for 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, where he came to a cave and he spent the night. So as he's laying under this tree, Elijah does something extremely spiritual. He took a nap. (laughs) Some of you just need to take a nap. While I was in Montana, I went went and did a... fly fishing trip in Montana this year, which was pretty rad, um, but um, while I was there in Montana, I met uh, some other pastors that uh, really was was refreshing for me. I met a guy that was a, one of the guides there, his name was Thad, and Thad was telling me about a podcast that he had listened to, I'm not going to give you the name of the podcast because, it's, to be honest, it's inappropriate, but... Uh, that's what pastors do when we get away with each other, by the way. We talk about inappropriate things. It's not true. It's not true. But as I was talking to him, he was telling me about this podcast that he listened to where um, there was a sleep expert on this podcast. The guy's name was um, Dr. Matthew Walker. And one of the things that Dr. Matthew Walker talked about in this, this long podcast that he was telling us about is that most of our issues as a society is based upon being sleep-deprived. The average American gets less than seven hours sleep a night. We need more than seven hours of sleep at night, ladies and gentlemen. Our bodies were designed to have at least seven hours of sleep at night. Seven to eight hours is the perfect time. We need sleep. We need rest. Some of you need to just go home and take a nap today. I remember growing up, we used to call... um, It was, I think it was just a part of a really cheesy church I was at, um, to be honest. They used to call it saint time on Sunday afternoon, and it was saint because Sunday afternoon is nap time. Um, It was really, really corny and cheesy, and I apologize for that. We can move on. Too many people are giving God an hour on Sunday morning and calling it a Sabbath day. Let me say that again. Too many people are giving an hour to God on Sunday morning and calling it a Sabbath. Ladies and gentlemen, a Sabbath is a day. And it's one of God's ten commandments to rest. Believe it or not, one of God's commandments is to rest. Take a day and enjoy it. Take a day and find an ability to rest. Tell your kids no for crying out loud. Too many people are being drugged around of all tarnation because Johnny has practice in this sport, and, and Sarah has a, a recital coming up, and and, uh, my, and and the other one has I don't know. Like we just run our kids around and allow them to dictate our our schedules. Tell them no. It can be. It's going to be okay. And and listen, I know in this room right now that that's really personal for. And I'm sorry, like, I have to speak truth. I I hope it doesn't hurt you because I do it in love because I want to help somebody. And too many of us are depressed because we can't tell our kids no. No. So Elijah is, under this, is in this cave. And in this passage that we just read, we find four quick things, really quick things. I know it's a little longer today, but four quick things that help us when it comes to depression. Four quick things to help us get out of ourselves. So what do I do to, to solve this issue in my life? Number one, the first thing that he did was he got healthy physically. Elijah got healthy physically. He took a nap. He ate some bread because the journey was long. We have to find a way to eat well, to sleep well, and to exercise well. We have to get healthy. If you want to get healthy mentally, you have to be healthy physically. I can say that because I ran a 5K yesterday. (laughs) But it's not. I'm not playing on it being a habit. Just don't just don't get that in your mind. I'm just kidding. I would love for it to be a habit because I always struggle with physically physical health. We have to get physically healthy. And this is where my pastor would be like, good job, Adam. Well, you, you get him. And go get him. My, my pastor benches 450 pounds because he goes to the gym too much. Number two, the second thing that he did was he poured his heart out to God. He poured his heart out to God. God can handle your mess. Tell him what you're going through. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 and 29 says, then Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and heavy, heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and I will give you rest for your soul. Ladies and gentlemen we need rest for our soul and I believe that we can tell God our mess, he can handle our burdens, he can he can carry your load. Number three, the third thing is that Elijah experienced the power and the presence of God in his life. In that cave he experienced the power Presence of God, and ladies and gentlemen, that's why every single Sunday we come into this place. We set up, we tear down, so that hopefully we can experience, we can we can create an experience where you can experience the power and presence of God in your life. We need it. You need it. Finally, number four, the, th- the last thing that Elijah did is that we can do is we must allow God to give us a new purpose and a new direction for our lives. We have to allow God to give us a new purpose and a new direction for our life. Our purpose has to come from God. He's the one that created us. He's the only one that can tell us why. Why? So many of you think that we have a dream team. One of my favorite stories about starting the church was because, it was shortly after we started, someone that used to go to church here they no longer do. They said, "Well, the reason you call your church your 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 team, the dream team, is because we're helping you and Tanya fulfill your, the dream that God has given you." And I said, "No, no, 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 sir, that is not right." we call our team the dream team because we believe that God has a dream for all of you and it's your and it's our job to help you discover that dream in your life so many of you think that we want you to be a part of our team because we need you You think that that, that we want you to be a part of our team because we need the curtains set up every week, because we need someone to sing on stage, or because we need someone to watch the babies so they don't cry during the service. We need somebody. We need you to do this for us. We need someone to run the sound for us. We need someone to haul the trailer for us. And all those things are true, but that's not why. The reason we have a dream team is for you to discover the purpose that God has for your life. I want you to know that the best way, the best way for me to care about you is to give you the opportunity to discover the reason God created you. The best way for me to care about you is to make it easy for you to discover things side of you that you didn't even know were there, because now Jesus is there, and he can bring breath to your lungs, and he can bring purpose to your life, do me a favor, stand to your feet, we're going to sing a song, we're going to change things up this morning just a little bit. I want us to sing this song together because I believe that this song just really drives the point home. And before we really get into a response, I want this point to be driven. So we're going to sing this song and then and then I'm I'm going to conclude with some thoughts. So let's let's sing it together. If you